Merry Christmas. Did anyone here ever try and and run away as a child? Do you ever remember like packing a bag? Um, there's a few kids' hands, so I think they're putting them up and saying, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm thinking about it. Depends on the presents that I get is whether I'm sticking around in this house. Um, for most of us, at some point in our time, we had a really, really bad day and we decided we wanted nothing to do with our family. And so we packed a bag and we set, set out as if we're going to go. And mum and dad most likely went, see ya, um, knowing that we would come back. Not that they didn't love us, that they knew that we wouldn't get very, very far. Um, I ran away once, but I wasn't a little baby. I was, uh, I was grade seven. Um, I'd been selling uh, magazines at school that you shouldn't sell at school, and I eventually got caught um, doing that. And my parents at the time were, were pastors, and so I was a, a pastor's kid, and I was in big, big trouble, and I knew I was in big, big trouble, so I decided that I wouldn't go home on my normal bus, that I'd go home on Jason Durham's bus. And Jason Durham was a good friend of mine. If he ever hears this sermon, I, I love you, man. You tried to support me real well. Um, and I went to Jason Durham's house, and he lived on acreage, and he had this, this tree house. And so the plan was, I will go, and I'll live in this tree house for the rest of my life, and he will just keep sneaking out food to me, and which he did. So he snuck out a pillow, he snuck out uh, a sleeping bag and he was bringing out little treats and I would hear him climb up and I'd be like yes some more food and then one time I heard the noise and it wasn't Jason it was Jason's mum saying hey Kylum your parents are here as are the police because they have had a search party looking for you and I remember just the dread that was overcoming me at that time when I was going to have to face my parents the story we are looking at today is a story uh, about God and how God responds to people who run away. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at stories which indicate to us what God is like. And so we've been looking at stories from the New Testament, which is the accounts given of Jesus and stories of historical figures. Today, we're not looking at a historical figure. We're looking at a story that Jesus did tell in history to teach people what God is like. And it is one of the greatest stories in the whole Bible. So I'll start with verse 1, which is basically the setup, and then we're going to move down quickly to verse 11. So it says this, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. If you've been with us for a little while, you'll notice that there's sinners and then there's tax collectors. They have their own category of sin. They're the most hated people in the world. So I always feel sorry for them. It's like there's these people and then there's you. Okay, there's tax collectors and sinners, and they were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. He actually goes on to tell two parables before this. But this is really important. Luke, what Luke wants to do is, Luke wants to go, there's two types of people in the audience listening to Jesus. There's sinners, and there's religious people. Then there are two sons. And those two sons are to try and capture something before his audience that they would listen to. And so there are tax collectors and sinners. I'm just going to call them sinners. And then there's Pharisees and scribes. I'm just going to call them religious people. And this is all to make a point about God. So let's continue in the story. Let's look at this younger son. It starts with his descent. So the beginning of the story basically tells us that there are these two sons. The idea there is they have everything. 
They have a good relationship with their dad. Their father is a wealthy man, prestigious man, owns a huge estate of which they have access to all things. But due to the selfish and impulsive desires of this young boy's heart, he decides to make a series of poor decisions. And these decisions have significant implications for his life. There are four things that you see with the decisions that he makes. Number one is that his decisions make him fatherless. So verse 12 says this. It says, And the younger of them, the younger son, said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now, in our context, it's very much the same as in an ancient context. When, when do you get an inheritance from your parents or your grandparents? At what point in time would you receive that? After they are dead, okay? If that's in a modern context, how much more so in an ancient context would it be offensive to say, well, I actually want my inheritance now. Okay, I don't trust you. I think you're going to go on a bunch of cruises and spend my inheritance, and I don't want that, so I would like that inheritance now. So what this, what this young boy does is he basically comes to his father and says, I don't want you. I want your money. I've got kids. I can't imagine my kids coming to me and going, we, we don't want to live with you anymore. We want to go our own way. And what we'd like you to do is to sell this house and sell this property and give us our share so we can go and do that. And we don't want anything to do with you. We don't want our kids to have anything to do with you. What he is essentially doing is he is wishing his father dead. And he's entitled. He's saying, give me what is mine. And in the shame honor context, this move by the son would have been so offensive that just asking this would disgrace his father. New Testament scholar Kenneth Bailey says, first century Jewish custom dictated that if a Jewish boy rejected the family, the entire community would break a large pot in front of him and cry out and say, so-and-so, Bob, Billy, whatever his name is, you are cut off from our people. And this ceremony was to, to, to break it and go, this is what you have done. You've shattered the relationship. You are now ab- absent. You are out. You are no longer in. You are not part of the family. So this boy, his decision has made him fatherless, familyless. The next part of the verse says about the father, and he divided his property between them. That's a, that's a, little, it's a little seed, a little clue in the story that we're going to see a different type of father that responds differently but let's continue he's not only fatherless he becomes homeless verse 13 says not many days later the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living now if you have to sell something quickly what does that mean you're probably doing with the property you're probably going to sell it for cheap because you've got to go. So this tells us quickly the father has sold his part of the, the inheritance and he's probably sold it for cheaper. He's devalued it. And this younger son leaves and he goes to a whole new country, it says. But not only that, he begins to waste his money. So he's not creating a new home at all. He's just left the security of a home, a security of a family. And now he's spending and spending and spending and spending and spending. But then he becomes moneyless. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. What happens after a while when you spend and spend and spend and spend? You have nothing left 
And that's why it's important. The Bible tells us over and over again in Proverbs that we should save and save and save because there are times when economies change and you want to have money in the bank. He has no money in the bank. He's just been spending and spending and spending and spending and he has run out of all of his money. And not only has the economy changed, the environment has changed and there is a famine. Now he's moneyless. He can't even purchase minimal amounts of food that would be available to him. And then lastly, he's not only fatherless, he's not only homeless, he's not only moneyless, he's friendless. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, I don't know about you, I quite like pork, I I quite like crackling, uh, I quite like bacon. Um, That's because I'm not a good Jewish boy. (laughs) Uh, for For a Jew, a pig is disgraceful and disgusting and unclean and to be in contact with a pig would defile you. You don't touch them. They're they're an animal that we don't have. We can have sheep, we can have cows, we don't go near pigs. He is not only here with like pigs and around pigs, he's living with the pigs. He's eating what the pigs eat and he's basically in competition for that food with the pigs. In the words of Eminem, it's a good segue, right? I was working on that. From his song, Be Careful What You Wish For, he said, You have to be careful what you wish for. I always wish for this, but it has become more of a nightmare than a dream. He has no friends, he has no community, even the pigs don't want him because now they're wrestling and competing with him for food. This is a picture. Jesus is telling a story in a way so people would go, ugh. What are the sinners who are in this audience hearing and thinking at this point in time? They're probably thinking, I know what this feels like. I've been here. I've made messes. I've made decisions. I know what it feels like to not be included. I know what it feels like to be an outcast, to be looked down upon. What are the Pharisees thinking? What are the religious people thinking? They're probably thinking, good, this is what you deserved. You shamed your father, now shame on you. And so you have these two categories of people listening to the same story. Both however, thinking the same thing. This is hopeless. There is no way home. There is no way he can be reconciled to his father. Then the story continues. He finally comes to his senses. It says, verse 17, but when he came to himself, he came to his senses, he started thinking, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Like he's at rock bottom, making all of these decisions, moving him as far away from his father, and then he's like, even the hired servants. Now, we don't pick up what that means. In, a, in an ancient Jewish context, you would have your immediate family that would live on the property with you. And then you would have servants. Okay, And the servants, essentially, are almost like part of an extended family. So what they would do is they'd build multiple houses on the same property. And the servants would work in the farms and help be kind of somewhat employees. But they would also live on the property. So they're almost like an extended family. Okay, I've got in-laws here, so I'm not going to make any in-law jokes. 
a hired servant, my wife just shouted something, I have no idea what it is, but I think it was something about being wise. I've learned how to live longer. (laughs) Uh, A hired servant, so he doesn't just say servant, a hired servant is what he says, is someone who's not allowed on the property, they're a contractor. So you live away from the family and you only come in when work is needed, when you need to work something and do something. And so he in his head is like, I know I'll never get back to being a son. I know I'll never get back to living on the property. I know I'll never be included. But if I could just have a job, maybe, maybe I could survive. And maybe over years and years and years of working and working and working and working and working and working, maybe, just, just maybe, then I could pay off my debt that I owe to my father and he would take me in. Now the sinners are sitting here, they're thinking, bro, don't go there, don't do that, that's not going to end well. Like, you, you kind of escaped from being shamed in front of the whole community, you didn't have the pot broken, you just took off. Don't go back because that's going to happen to you. And the religious people are like, don't do, don't do it. It's not going to go well for you. And so he prepares this speech. He says, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's him saying, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I know that. But look at this verse. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I know I'm a mess. I know I've screwed up badly. I know there is no chance of redemption for me. I know that. I get that. But would you just extend an olive branch and just let me work? I'll paint that thing. I'll bring in those sheep. I'll do whatever it is that you need. And then it says, and he arose and came to his father. Now just think about this for a second. He begins his voyage back to his dad. Where's he been living? In the mud with the pigs. No friends, no family, which means he's never had a shower in weeks, maybe months. We don't know how long. He is smelly. He is ragged. He hasn't shaven. He looks disgusting. And this once impulsive and entitled young man of a prosperous and prestigious father returns, destitute, desperate, convinced he is orphaned by his transgressions. He harbors no illusions of any claim to the family. No acceptance, no sonship, no love, just a chance of a job, just to stay alive. And maybe, maybe in 20 or 30 years... I'll get an invite back to that table. And I love what Jesus says about this father. Because this is what Christmas is all about. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. Listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. This is Luke's way of saying to us, it's not really the son coming back to the father as much as the father who's been looking for his son. He's been going like, you know, he, he's been like, just think Yellowstone for those of you who watch Yellowstone. Like he's got hectares and hectares and hectares listening to Chris Stapleton, Luke Combs all on the way while he's been looking for his son. 
And every day he leaves the home and he just goes to another mountain and just sees if he can just if he can just get a glimpse of one day that he's returning. I love this. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Fletch, would you like to do a demonstration of this? No? Okay. I'm sorry. This, to us, sounds like normal behavior. When my parents, when I was brought to my parents, I was brought down that treehouse and I came to my parents, they embraced me. They hugged me. Because they had no idea where their boy was. And he was running hard. I was trying to get away and they, they embraced me. The next day, that's when the discipline came. Okay, now you've been suspended for a long time, so you are going to be doing all of these chores. And that's when I realized, fake. <laughs> you embraced me, I thought it was all over. Look, look at this, it says to him, and son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Next line he wants to add in, will you make me a hired servant? Will you do that? Will you just let me work? He doesn't even get to finish. The father says to him, servants, quickly, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Tim Keller says his father sees him and runs, runs to him. As a general rule, distinguished Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. Children might run. Women might run. Young men might run. But not the dignified pillar of the community, the owner of the great estate. He would not pick up his robes and bare his legs. That's what a boy does. But not this father. This father does. And he runs to his son, showing his emotions openly and falls upon him and kisses him. The word embrace, it's almost like he runs and tackles him to the ground and holds him. And just like I sometimes do to my kids and I hold them when they're in a grumpy mood and I just hold them and kiss them and kiss them and kiss them. I'm like, you want to be, you want to be in a better mood and I'm going to hold you and kiss you and kiss you until you're in a better mood. And it takes a while and they try to headbutt me. They try to do all sorts of things, but I just hold them down. He gives him three things. He gives him a robe. That robe would have belonged to the father. He's putting on him his own robe. He gives him a ring, which is a symbol of authority, and sandals are a sign of wealth because servants did not wear shoes in the house. Only sons do. No hope of redemption. No hope of ever being brought back in. But here is a father who is bringing him back in. Question, where is the shame? The son should be ashamed. But his shame is all gone. The only one who experiences any shame in this story is the father. Because he's the one who runs. He's the one who sells his property. He's the one who embraces. He's the one who shows compassion. He's the one who shows empathy. He's the one who kisses. He's doing everything you shouldn't do. And the community around are going, what are you doing? And he is saying, I will take it all for you. No shame on you. Now everybody is no longer looking at the son, but looking at the father. And this is what Christmas is all about. That Jesus comes into this world as a baby boy to live a life 
so that one day he would be on a cross and everyone would look at him and say, crucify him, kill him, death to him, sinner him, and everybody's eyes would be off you and me. That we would be free. Shame free. Guilt free. Not having to work our way back. Where is the punishment? There is none. It's been done. Who pays for his reckless living? Not the son, but the father absorbs it into himself. And instead of shaming his son, beating his son, humiliating his son, he honors his son. For those of you who are maybe not Christians or maybe you're new Christians, the Bible has a word for this. It's called grace. And it is what separates the Christian worldview from every other worldview. You do not have to do anything except receive the free gift. Come. And you will be embraced and you will be forgiven and you will be restored and you will know what it is to walk with God. And that is not possible unless the baby comes. The baby has to be born. The baby has to live then the man has to die and raise again. Now remember, there were two lots of people listening to the story. And so it then moves to the older son. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, and he heard the music and dancing, he called one of the servants and asked, like, what is going on? And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Because he was angry and refused to go in, his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property, you killed the fattened calf for him. He is angry. He is upset. Why? Because like the younger son, he just wants the father's stuff too. Just in a different way. His way is, I'm just going to obey all the rules, stay close enough, stay in dad's good books, that one day he gives me his stuff. The younger son is like, I ain't waiting to get my stuff, I want my stuff now. Both are exactly the same. They both just want God's stuff. They both just want the father's stuff. And neither actually wants the father. The sinners are hearing that. And the beginning of the story said it was them who was following Jesus and listening to Jesus because there is something about Jesus that is different from the religious. The reward for the older brother is stuff. He is just as entitled. But then again, look at the father's response. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This Christmas, God the Father is offering you and I relationship. That you can know him, walk with him. He is offering you forgiveness of anything that would separate you from his love. And he has been out looking and searching and looking and searching and he sees you and is coming towards you to embrace you. Leave your speech at the door. 
He won't let you finish anyway and come into the party and celebrate with Jesus. At the end of this story, he just leaves it, Luke leaves this blank, meaning we don't know whether the religious older brother goes in or whether he doesn't, but we do know that the youngest sinning son is in. And if you follow the story of Jesus, as the band come up, what you find is that Jesus is showing, Jesus is teaching that this is what he is all about. This is what God is all about, is God wants to be with you. Let us pray. God, we pray and we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you came into the world as us, like us, And you died on a cross as us, like us. And then you rose again so that we might become like you, in relationship, adopted as sons and daughters, that we might know the Father and walk with him. And God, we pray today that as we sing a few more songs and we go and eat and celebrate and we lead into Christmas, that we would be reminded that Christmas is about grace. Christmas is about love. Your grace, your love towards us. And everybody said,